Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name and allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights unreachable to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in the service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies of forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present this service to your divine arms. Guide them with your uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
Как я счастлив, что ты Оправдал и омыл своей кровью И облег в ризы Божьей любви Наделив неземной красотою Чтобы в город вратами войти Съединившись со всеми святыми И на камне на белом моем Имя новое вписано Всегда прибуду с Господом тогда, Забуду всю печаль, не вспомню никогда.
And so, as always, before we begin to immerse ourselves into the depths of our inheritance in Christ Jesus, the unchanging epigraph to our study of the Word of God, which is the royal crown, the royal crown for all instruction, because in this epigraph, Jesus had placed the word of God higher than all other authority. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And so, that we as members of the body of Christ divide with Christ all that was written about him in Scripture, because all that is written in Scripture is that word over which God is vigilant, which he has submitted himself to, which he worships, and which he has become a servant to, and he has enough power and enough strength in order to fulfill. Jesus said, it is called to be fulfilled, and when it says it's called to be fulfilled, then this is referring to also those children of God that are partakers of the kingdom of heaven, because this is written of Christ that he can receive this only in the body as the head of the body. Therefore, in order to continue our study of all that is written about him in Scripture, we will continue to study in the direction of our cooperation with the Holy Spirit and what we must do on our end so that we receive the right to set aside our former way of life to be clothed in a new way of life so that we can be clothed again in a new way of life. And obviously, between this, there is this one-third position, the renewal of the spirit of the mind. We must change, transform our character, and then when the time comes, God will allow, because all of this will be done with the power of the Holy Spirit, and our bodies will be clothed into the new man. In at, while we remain in our body. We will be witnesses to this here on earth. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, and this is then the only place of scripture. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. For the fulfillment of this commandment, there are three verbs in commands. This is to set aside, renew, and clothe. We noted that answering these faithful questions will affect whether we turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath, or rather, will we perfect the salvation that is given to us in the format of a deposit, or will we waste it? Because of this, our names will forever be blotted out of the book of life. A lot of Christians are offered salvation not as a deposit when they receive it, but as if they have already received it, and that it is impossible to lose it, to waste it, and so forth. 
But it is given to us in the format of a seed, and in order to inherit this salvation, this seed must be sown in our heart and then grown into fruit, and in this fruit we will receive salvation, because all that God gives us, He gives us in the seed of His Word, and the rest is our cooperation with the truth of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in a certain format, we have already studied the first two questions and have stopped to examine the third question. What conditions must we fulfill so that through our renewed thinking we could begin the process of clothing ourselves into the powers of our new man who is created by God and Christ Jesus in the righteousness and holiness of truth? And in regards to clothing ourselves into our new man, we came to the conclusion that we need God's help in the subject of His mercy. Without which we will be unable to make any step forward. The means for accepting this kind of help expressed in the inheritance of God's mercies is the weapon of prayer and worship, which is called to coincide to the truth of Scripture. Because prayer is simply the right that man gives the heavens to interfere here on earth. And we are called to give God this right only on His established conditions. Only a person who has come to perfection just as the Heavenly Father is perfect, he who has made himself dependent on the Word of God, just as God had made himself dependent on His Word. Because perfection is when we place the Word of God as head of everything and all. One of these prayers of David is written in the 143rd Psalm where he gives God the right to interfere in his life with his mercy and truth and it will be an example for us of our inheritance. It has become the subject of our study. Obviously, all places of scriptures are penetrated with this, but the Holy Spirit had taken specifically this revelation and had laid it in my heart so that I, on the basis of it, can begin to unveil this truth according to the measure at which God reveals it to us. So Psalms 143, Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness answer me, and in your righteousness do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul, he has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness, like those who have long been dead. Therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me, my heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of the old, and meditate on all your works, I muse on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you, my soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies, and you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those 
who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. And so according to this prayer, we have already noted that the reason for this prayer being released was due to a certain category of enemies that resisted David. And these enemies resist every child of God. This is David's own flesh and our flesh. It is the uh, first and foremost enemy. If we overcome our own flesh, then we will overcome personified sin and personified death. These are our enemies. Because the world, all the trials, all of the lusts, they step out against us again through our flesh. Either this will be our flesh or this will be the flesh of, some, of someone else through which darkness will stand up against us. And to be heard by God, it was necessary for David to present God a foundation or a right that could serve for God as proof that he can interfere in David's life with his mercy and truth. And from David's perspective, this kind of proof in this prayer contained ten different arguments that David brought to God, saying, Hear me. And the number ten is the right. It's known as the right, the law. It yields the law of God. And and specifically, the, the law of God, the law of grace, and the law of Moses because the law of grace is found in the law of Moses. It flows from it, although it is independent of it, and it opposes it. Still, yet, the number 10 is the format of a law. And so here we have 10 unique arguments that yield the right to be heard by God. And so, having brought in his prayer these arguments, David said, Hear me. Because of your righteousness and truth, hear me, because I remember the days of the old and all your works. Hear me, because I spread out my hands to you. Hear me, because I trust in you. Hear me, because I lift my soul up to you. Hear me, for I run to you. Hear me, because you are my God. Hear me for your name. Hear me for your mercy. Hear me, because I am your servant. So David had brought up all of these evidences. The king that was before him could not bring any of these evidences. And he said to Samuel, I have done everything as your God had wanted me to. He said as if his God and Samuel's God were different gods. Because when he had something difficult that came across his life. He didn't trust in God, but he went to the sorcerers to ask of them what will happen, what will happen in this battle which he is going to. David, in any circumstance, whether it be in his fall and his sin, when before him there was sorrow, he said, it's best for me to fall on your hands when God says, I offered you three punishments for your sin. Either you'll run from your enemies or there will be a hunger on the earth, a famine. Or from heaven there will be a sword that comes down. He said, it's difficult for me. But it's best to be found in your arms rather than in your hands rather than the hand of people. 
and then there was the fall or the calamity of the Israelites. In previous sermons, we have already examined the nature of the first argument that gave God the legal right to stand on David's behalf to help him withstand his enemies. And we have stopped to study the second argument. This is evidence brought by David in prayer that showed that he remembered the days of the old and all the works of God in these days written on the tablets of our heart. This is the second unique argument. So in David was the truth. According to a revelation of the Holy Spirit, an image of this evidence is presented in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, which was a standard for a constant memorial before God containing the standard of a constant prayer. It is unique because this is the only subject that was a continual subject, a continual memory. The rest of the subjects that God looked upon were not continual. They related to the time for the fulfillment of the promise. And it says, and God remembered, and God remembered. And you will see oftentimes these kind of phrases in Scripture. But it doesn't say here, and God remembered it continually. I have written your name on my hands, and your walls are always before me. A wall is perfection, the perfection of a person. He says, your perfection is always before me. And this perfection is in acknowledging the word of God over oneself. Acknowledging the word of God over visions, over prophets, over dreams, over everything. This is what perfection is. It doesn't mean that we won't fall. When the word of God is your authority, Scripture says, You are righteous, you have fallen, but you are righteous. The righteous shall fall seven times, but will get up. But the wicked fall one time and they do not get back up. And we know that the breastplate of judgment was created for and served one subject. This was the Riman Urim in the heart of a person, which allowed David to hear man and allowed man to hear God. There was an image there, and God wanted to dwell in the heart of a person in the dignity of Urim and Thummim, because Urim is the Holy Spirit and Thummim is the truth the legislation of God in the dignity of the reigning teaching of Christ. And so to be heard by God in the revelations of his Urim, it is necessary to maintain a remembrance of the works of God in the subject of his Thummim, which God had made in the days of the old. The Holy Spirit comes only in that heart where there is Thummim, where there is truth. If the teaching of Christ lacks in the heart of a person, there falls the spirit of delusion. Of course, God works with infants, but when the time for infancy has ended and the teaching of Christ has not found its place in the heart of a person, when he remains on the positions of infancy, we know that infancy is when a person is swayed by all kinds of winds of teachings. One says one thing and he says, oh, that's correct, that's correct. Oh, and the other one is right too in what he says, and this other one is right. When a person jumps from one to another, when he does not have a firm teaching yet. 
And therefore, a prayer that does not meet the requirements and characteristics of a breastplate of judgment does not have a right to be called a prayer, because only the format of a continual prayer is presented in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, and it gives us the right to draw near to God as kings and priests unto God, in order to represent the intercession the interests of his will. In the Septuagint, the breastplate of judgment is called a very interesting name. It's called a sign of justice. Because through Urim and Thummim that are contained in the breastplate of judgment, God could communicate his judgment to man. The image of the breastplate of judgment, as we know, finds its expression in the conscience of man that is cleansed from dead works, on the tablets of which, in the twelve names of the patriarchs, was sealed the image of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. A conscience that is cleansed from dead works with the seal of the tablets of truth and righteousness will yield the nature of true worshippers who will give God the right to act in them and through them on planet Earth. And God searches for these kind of worshippers for himself. In a certain format, we've already looked at the measurements of material out of which the breastplate of judgment was to be made, and we have stopped to look at the next condition, which states, And you shall put settings of stones in it. In this breastplate of judgment, you should put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be a carbuncle, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, and a gate, and an amethyst. In the fourth row, a chrysolite, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name. They shall be according to the twelve tribes. Exodus 28, 17-21. These twelve gold settings is the word of God that is contained in the reigning teaching of Christ, which we as worshippers of God are called to represent in our continual prayer. And the twelve precious stones, with the engravings and markings of the twelve names of the sons of Israel, is an image of our prayer that represent the perfect judgments of God. A continual prayer is communication with God that is um, impenetrable to sin. This doesn't mean to stand on our knees for 24 hours a day. It's possible to do your own work and to continue to pray with God. And it's possible to pray eight hours a day and to not have any communication with God at all. And so we've carried out a principle that it's not the golden settings in the subject of truth of the word of God that are engraved to fit the stones, but rather the stones in the subject of our prayers are engraved to fit the measurements and configurations of the golden settings of truth. So we must, before, before speaking this word before God, we must understand what we're saying. You are on earth, God is in heaven. When people said, before I prayed, before I prayed, and then I'm afraid to pray now, what if I say something incorrectly? Finally, we've come to the knowledge. And why are you saddened by us before saying a bunch of words and these words not coinciding with, with the will of God? Rejoice! That now, if you pray, then you pray according to Scripture. Take the Psalm of David, hear all the answers to your needs, and pray with it from your name. There are ready prayers. That's what Hebrews do, Jews do. Jews take, uh, take the Bible and pray according 
to the prayers of David from their own name. And they are taught, the rabbi is taught, excuse me, the rabbi who is aware of scripture, he can then take uh, one place and then take another and making something new. When you know the will of God, well, you won't need to specifically take a prayer of David and pray. You will see all of the different prayers and you will you will put it together and your heart and your mind are going to grow astonished at that which is coming from your heart but in the beginning you need to place something in your heart therefore a continual prayer is an unceasing prayer this is the strongest kind of prayer it's not a prayer in tongues it's prayer with the mind and tongues. I've talked about how people who think that prayer in tongues is the strongest kind of prayer are those who are lost. If they don't have truth in their heart, you can pray for 24 hours in tongues and you'll have no result at all because your spirit does not have in itself the foundation. It's your spirit that is praying. Not the Holy Spirit, it's your spirit that is praying. Your spirit prays on the basis of that which is found in your heart. And if there is no teaching of Christ, one brother had said to me, I am going to speak a sermon that Abraham is a tourist. He, he dared to call him this. And they said, golden vessels are just one in the world. This is the Roman the, the Vatican, the Pope, this same person had decided to take and distort the prayer, Our Father in Heaven. This Pope is the former Nazi, from the former Nazi regime, and he's given a lot of authority right now. So we must be very careful. The makeup of the breastplate of judgment in these 12 stones that represent the will of God and do not depart is expressed in the makeup of the tree of life. Growing the tree of life in our heart is building ourselves into the new man created by God in righteousness and holiness of truth into a spiritual dwelling, a holy place. We have noted that all of the grandeur and order of the temple was made for only one holy object and it served only one holy object, the golden ark of the covenant. The same way the ephod of the high priest with the breastplate of judgment was created and served only one holy object, which was called to exactly double and fulfill the functions of the Golden Ark. This is Urim and Thummim. Because the Golden Ark of the Covenant and the Breastplate of Judgment figuratively represented the conscience of a person that has been cleansed from dead works. 
Agreement to beam, I'll remind you, means light and perfection. Light is an image of the Holy Spirit or the action of the Holy Spirit, and perfection is the truth in the heart. It also represents light and right, and again, light is the Holy Spirit, and right is the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ in the heart, or revelation and truth. Revelation is the Holy Spirit that unveils the truth in the heart. The Decalogue placed inside of the Ark of the Covenant was truth, and this truth was presented on the breastplate of judgment as the meme, by which we mean the teaching of Christ. The revelation that a person could receive under the lid of the Ark of the Covenant was presented in the breastplate of judgment as Urim. A worshiper of God can only be a person who has a conscience that is cleansed from dead works, or who has a wise heart on the tablets of which is sealed truth in the subject of the meme. The mystery of the teaching of Christ. And I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. Exodus 31, 6. So in the heart of all the wise. So it turns out that if there is no wisdom, then the Holy Spirit will not go there. He may have baptized you, but he will not live there and he won't reveal anything because there's nothing to reveal. He's not going to interpret the interpretations of those spoken by those who are not sent by God. One says one thing, the other says another thing, and the third says a whole other thing. This whole... People say that if you provide your um, your own interpretations, you can reach the status of theology in a certain format. We've already studied the five, first five properties of a worshiper of God through whom God could continually express and fulfill His will on planet Earth. We have stopped to examine the sixth component of a worshiper expressed on the breastplate of judgment of our heart in the virtue of the precious diamond stone. The sixth name on the second row from the bottom that was engraved on the precious stone of the breastplate of judgment was the sixth son of Jacob, Naphtali, whose name means wrestler. And Rachel's, Rachel's maid, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So that she called his name Naphtali. Genesis chapter 30, verses 7 through 8. The name of God in the precious diamond stone, according to Jewish rabbis, in Hebrew means El Hai, which translated to Russian means living God. So, any precious stone represents some kind of name of God. And according to the meaning of the name Naphtali in the precious diamond stone, we know that the function of the sixth principle laid as a foundation of our constant prayer, with which we need to serve as a continual memorial before God, this is our ability to allow the Holy Spirit to be with us in prayer battle against the powers of darkness that go against us fulfilling the will of God, the name of the living God.
But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure His indignation. Jeremiah 10.10 We have noted multiple times that the name of the living God was the format of an oath. In that category of the holy nation that did not learn how to swear by the name of the living God and swore to Him falsely, they were headed to total annihilation. This is written, written in Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 16 through 17. And it shall be, if they learn carefully the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. But if they do not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, says the Lord. So here it says that in order to swear by this name, it's necessary to be taught the ways of the people. What are these ways of the people? And these ways, as we know, are the ways of the commandments and statutes of God, on the basis of which we will be taught how to swear by the name of the living God. This is the desire of their knowledge. Not just the desire of their knowledge, but humility. It's necessary to be a disciple in order to be taught. And these paths are the paths of the commandments and statutes of God. In the original, it says that when my heart begins to offer fruit, then I will be able to flow, to go the ways of your people. I will run the course of your commandments. For you shall enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Psalms 119, verses 32 through 35. We know that in Hebrew, the name of God, El Hai, or living, means dwelling, great, unlimited in power, determining our being, creator of being, containing our being, preserving our being, overlooking over our being, and Lord of our being. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve Him, and to Him you shall hold fast and take oaths in His name. You see what path there is? In the beginning it's necessary to learn how to fear God, then it is necessary to serve Him alone, to turn away from all idols and then to cling to Him. It's necessary to know on what conditions can we cling to Him, and then we will have the right to swear by His name. He is your praise and He is your God, who has done for you these great and mighty things which your eyes have seen. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 20-21. And so the power of a warrior of prayer that is contained in the virtue of the name of the living God, a call to represent the limitless authority of God over our being and in the time and limits allotted to us. We will need to define what purpose is God pursuing when He calls His children to become warriors of prayer, as well as how and under what conditions can God give a person the right to become a warrior of prayer so that a person could represent the interests of God in the realization of His inheritance in God? This is the will of God, the interest of God, for us to realize the inheritance that God has placed on our accounts in Christ Jesus. According to revelations from Scripture, our prayer and the quality of warriors of prayer, yielded by the virtue of a diamond, are supposed to be unceasing, perseverant, diligent, with boldness, reverential, with showing faith to God, with thanksgiving, with joy, in the fear of the Lord, in the Holy Spirit or by prayer and tongues. 
In previous sermons, in a certain format, we have already looked at the first eight signs of a continual prayer that define the state of the heart of a warrior of prayer, as well as the quality of his prayer. And we will turn, and we've stopped to study the ninth component of a continual prayer. This is the presence of the fear of the Lord in prayer, or a prayer that is made in the fear of the Lord. But before, I will again remind you of the antonyms, or of the components of prayer, we have already studied. Looking at the antonym will make it easier for us to see the character and property of the component of prayer itself. The antonym of unceasing is unfaithfulness or non-continual. The antonym of diligence is resistance. The antonym of perseverance is laziness. The antonym of boldness is audacity. The antonym of reverence is neglect and hatred. The antonym of faith of God, this is disbelief or resistance against the faith of God. The antonym of thanksgiving is ungratefulness or stiff-necked. The antonym of joy is sorrow or grief. And the antonym of the fear of the Lord is the fear of man. A prayer that is practiced in the fear of the Lord. As in the previous virtues of prayer, it is necessary for us to examine four classic questions. For what vessel flows the fear of the Lord, and with what virtues and criteria is the fear of the Lord endowed? What purpose is the fear of the Lord intended to fulfill in our relationship with God, with one another, and with the whole earth? What price or what conditions are necessary to fulfill to be filled with the fear of the Lord in prayer, or how do we keep and multiply the fear of the Lord in our heart? By what results should we test ourselves for the presence of the fear of the Lord in our heart? During our previous services, we stopped to study the essence of the first question. In short definitions, I will remind you of the criteria that endows the fear of the Lord, which we came across during our previous service. We will note that the fear of the Lord and the fear of man are two absolutely different programs that come from two completely different sources that yield a program of eternal life that comes from God and the program of eternal death that comes from the fallen cherubim to the first carnal man, Adam, who became the programmable device for the program of the fear of man, passed on this program to all of mankind. And this program began to be known as the fear of man when Satan had passed it on to man. And so, the property or character contained in the fear of the Lord, just as the previous properties, is attributed to prayer as a commandment, as a command, and a military order, non-compliance of which will result in death that is expressed in the final destruction of a peaceful relationship with God. The fear of the Lord flows from the source of the wisdom of God and is that keeper of this wisdom. And as a program is able to abide and express itself only in a programmable device, which is the reborn heart of man, which becomes a mind of good understanding, that abides in the commandments of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. Psalms 111 verse 10. The reason for many delusions and stagnations is precisely from what our understanding depends on. 
If we make our, under, our understanding dependent on people, we will satisfy their stagnancy, their ignorance, and their religious ambitions. If we make our understanding dependent on the traditions of man, then for these traditions we will violate the commandments of God. If we make our understanding dependent on logical thinking and the experience we have, we will also end up far from the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord and the subject of God's wisdom not only does it depend on our logical and rational thinking, but it also rules over it. Just like when a person is found in space, he doesn't depend. The law of gravity doesn't work there. The law of gravity works only here on Earth. The same way here, we must understand that the fear of the Lord is not because it's against logical or rational thinking. It's not against it. It's just independent of it. It acts in different dimensions. Therefore, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we must understand that we are going to talk about the fourth dimension, the dimension of the Spirit in our heart. And so, only when, against the many authorities of man, we make our understanding dependent on the revelations of Scripture, only then can we be filled with the fear of the Lord expressed in His marvelous and superior wisdom. We know fully well that on the earth in which we live there exist many kinds of fears and even more phobias. The whole earth is pretty much filled with these fears and phobias. But these fears come from only one source, the fallen cherubim that was inherited by the first Adam when he sinned and passed down to all of mankind through genetic lineage. All of these fears cannot be compared to the unique and magnified fear that comes from God that is given to man by God through his birth. We must also consider that there exists a healthy form of fear in the format of a sharp mind that does not bring turmoil. As I have said, when you drive a car, you have a healthy fear that doesn't bring you torment, that allows you to run away from all kinds of accidents, to hold the correct distance, a correct speed. And if you change lanes, then you understand that behind you there is a blind zone, a blind spot, and you might not see it. You might not see. And if your window isn't showing, your mirror isn't showing you properly, you need to turn around. This is known as healthy fear. We're talking about those fears that fill the world which people are uh, which people are tormented by. First John 4.18 There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Therefore, if our worship and so, if our worship is not made in the fear of the Lord that is contained in the twelve precious stones of the breastplate of judgment, then our worship cannot be accepted by God. That's why any attempt to enter into the presence of God in order to call on God or to serve God without the presence of the fear of the Lord, it offends God, is not counted with God, and challenges God. The lack of the fear of the Lord testifies that a person is bound to the fear of man, and that for him, human opinions are more important than the commandments of God.
Revelation 21.8 But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We have paid attention to the fact that in the army, of these marching people marching to heaven, the cowardly stand in front. These cowards know what the truth are, but they are afraid of it. They are afraid of acknowledging it. What are my surroundings going to say? What are people going to say? What are my relatives going to say? And so forth. You, before people had thought, what are the communists going to think? Because at that time, why were there very few Christian people, because if you simply say that you're Christian, you can end up in prison. And you were looked at as, as lowly. People say, yes, God is, but then but why do we need all of these other things? I remember when I was riding a train, I began to speak of God, and one captain, he was captain of the army, he took me to the side. He showed me. See my cross? He was wearing a necklace. I'm Christian, he said. I said, are you communist? He said, yes. I said, well, communist dialogue rejects God. Well, let it reject it, but I believe. He sees that I'm carrying this cross. He knows my heart. He was unready. He was not ready to stand for his faith when I was sent to prison after I had preached and I had proclaimed in the army. In my last meeting, which the general mayor of the division set up, he looked at me, he asked me lots of questions. For about an hour or so, we had spoken, and then he stretched out his hand to me and said, I, I applaud you, I congratulate you. You are a noble person. You are a true Christian, you are on a faithful path. And I asked him, General Mayor, why don't you want to walk this path as well if you know that this is the good path? He looked at me sorrowfully and said, I'm too late. It's too late for me. He said, you see, I would not have any of this. For this, I had made a decision. He said, I had made an incorrect decision, but it's too late. And I told him, it's not too late. And then he clicked on a button. Two soldiers came and they said, take this arrested man. And from his cabinet, I was handcuffed and, and taken away. So I walked with my head held high, but the general mayor had stayed behind me and with his head down. The words fear, wisdom, and commandment related to the nature of God are identical because they yield the moral virtues of God and due to its identicalness, one word explains the other because they come from one another and identify the authenticity of each other. That is why the fear of the Lord is the true wisdom of God presented in the commandments of the Lord, whereas true wisdom in the virtue of the commandments of the Lord is defined by the fear of the Lord that yields the legislature of God. And so the fear of the Lord 
I'm going to read some definitions that we've already talked about, and then I will stop to talk about those that we have not uh, talked about yet. The fear of the Lord is one of the names of God with which God defends those who fear God to protect them from the cunningness and deceit of carnal people who try to use their labor to satisfy their own interests. To save our time, I'm not uh, mentioning places of scripture. There would be several for each definition. But because we've already heard about them in our previous service, I won't. The fear of the Lord contains a pure wisdom of the Lord. It expresses itself and abides forever in the hearts of those who fear God, who are God's programmable device. The fear of the Lord in the hearts of those who fear God is the hope for the future that can never be taken away. The fear of the Lord is the real treasure of people who fear God that contained that's contained for those who, who with wisdom and knowledge will be stable in their times and strengthened in salvation. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction and will not be visited with evil. The fear of the Lord contains the properties of mercy and righteousness. The fear of the Lord is a personified teacher of wisdom that teaches the humble to clothe them in his glory in the face of the new man created by God in, in Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord prolongs the days of those who fear God and simultaneously shortens the days of the wicked. Proverbs 10:27 The fear of the Lord prolongs days but the years of the wicked will be shortened Interesting right When it said adds days or prolongs days the years of the wicked will be shortened A question arises what need does the fear of the Lord have to prolong the days of the some and shorten the days of others Proceeding from the revelations of Scripture, the need to add the days of life to one is so that they do not perish and can come to repentance, while the goal of shortening the days of life of others is so that they cannot repent. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Here we're talking about the righteous who fall but stand up. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Furthermore, fear of the Lord contains in itself the inheritance of hope and clothes the one who hopes in the Lord in protection from the snare of the evil one. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever hopes in the Lord shall be safe. Whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Proverbs 21, 29-25 Someone who fears people lacks the fear of the Lord. Someone who fears people lacks the fear of the Lord. 
This person walks before people, depends on people, and is found in the snares of gossip. While a person who hopes in God is a person who fears God and is not afraid of people and does not depend on people, because he walks with God, depends on God, and is in God's net. Net are words. Words. For some reason, some are found in this caught in this net of the preached word, and others are caught in the snare of another word that says this doesn't work. I'm also reading, but the word of God isn't working. Some people read the word, but they don't believe in it, and other words are caught up in the snare of the word of God and believe in it. Here's what Apostle Paul says in First Corinthians chapter four, verses three. Therefore, he said, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself. Yet I am justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. So practically, Apostle Paul states that in order to not end up in the snare from people, it is necessary to not appraise ourselves, but allow God to judge us. We must view ourselves in Christ Jesus and who we are for Him, what He has done for us, and who, how He sees us in Christ Jesus, and what we must do in order to inherit all of that which He has prepared for us in Christ Jesus. When Apostle Paul had done this, in doing so, he was released from fear before man, what will people say about me? They could spread any kind of rumor they want. Jeremiah wrote about this 17 in chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. This could be our own flesh as well as the flesh of other people, whose heart departs from the Lord. So when we hope on other people or are dependent on people, then in then in doing so, we depart from the Lord. Our heart departs from the Lord. Always know this. When people say, who else knows about this? Who else knows about this? Well, if today you and I know about it, tomorrow 30 people, the next day 100, and then 1,000. Only when it's just you and God, then it can't spread. But Satan can also take and spread some kind of rumor. And people will know this rumor as the truth, although you're not this way. But you should not afraid be afraid of this rumor or depend on it. And even if you've done something incorrectly, if you've done a mistake publicly, then publicly ask um, for forgiveness. Then people will talk about not just the action, but your forgiveness. Uh, but you seeking forgiveness as well. David's repentance has spread so the people can see that it's possible to fall. But it's possible to get up as well. If you do not open your sin, you will not um, not have mercy. Therefore, said, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and he shall not see when good comes. 
He shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river. We're talking about the tree of life in our heart. This person will be so. And will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Furthermore, the fear of the Lord for those that fear God is strong confidence and serves as a place of refuge. Proverbs 14.26 In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord in the equivalent of firm hope expresses itself in trust in God and makes the spirit of a person firm, which gives God a reason to be a refuge for such a person. This is not all. The fear of the Lord in the equivalent of a solid spirit gives God a reason to keep a person in perfect peace. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isaiah 26.3 So we see here that this firm hope is in fact a firm spirit. If you have a firm spirit, then you have a firm hope. If you don't have a firm hope, you won't have firm spirit. Where is the firmness of the spirit from the firmness of our hope? Where is firm hope, hope occur? Through the preached word that you accept upon which you look upon, not paying attention to every, to anyone. Therefore, the fear of the Lord and the equivalent of a strong spirit makes a person's heart cheerful, which serves him beneficially as medicine. His heart becomes medicine. It becomes to heal him. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Proverbs 17.22 in investigating this place of scripture, we came to the conclusion that healing is determined by the healing of our faith and our hope. Our faith and hope is healed through which we can receive healing. While a broken spirit is a definition of hard-heartedness, which is incompatible with the fear of the Lord and does not allow God to be a wall for such a person to protect him, on the day of calamity. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Proverbs 25:28. You see how the f- important the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, giving authority for the right to know the holy God and his holiness, which becomes the mind of Christ for those who fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, Proverbs 9.10. So from the existing statement, it follows that the fear of the Lord and the equivalent of commanding wisdom gives the ability to cognize the Holy God and His Holiness, thanks to which there is a renewal of our mind with the mind of Christ. And so look here, a person that does not have the fear of the Lord will never have a renewed mind. The reason, because he fears. Why does he fear? Because he has not yet died to his nation, to his house, and to his corrupt desires. He has not yet taken off these old garments. When he takes off these old garments, he will receive the opportunity to be clothed in other garments. Do you know that when Elijah had passed through Jordan with Elisha, then the the Jordan uh, split before the garments of Elijah. And these garments of Elijah, this is an image of the new man. This, for religious people, is going to be impure. 
But you know that any impure animal is holy unto God. God didn't create unclean animals. You remember when God created the animals, He said, this is, and this is good, and this is good. Why did He call some clean and the others unclean? The same way in the Garden of Eden, why was one tree called life and the other death? You will eat of this, you will die. If you eat of this one, you will live. Why? Because one tree was hallowed unto God, belonging to Him. And with His anointed ones, God behaves differently. He clothes them in garments, camel garments. You know what a camel is. Yes, the camel could be ridden on, and he it could be used as a transfer of some kind of goods. But when you're done, you would have to wash yourself because you were defiled. But it is specifically these camels that had passed along Eleazar with his goods. And he is an image of the Holy Spirit. It turns out the Holy Spirit uses people who carry these garments. They are his carriers. And so any unclean animal for man is clean to God. It is hallowed unto him. That's why God always wanted to have his hallow. He always he separates us. His mind of this is yours. What is unclean for you is, is mine. But when a person comes to God truly, not through the law, and accepts Christ, then in Christ Jesus, God is going to show to a person, to Peter, head of the apostles, he says, Peter, stand and eat. Where did this vessel come from? From heaven. What, Lord, you have unclean animals that dwelled there, and on earth they were clean? He had seen the animals coming down, and there were different animals, and he was astonished, and God said, Peter, stand and eat, and Peter said, I can't eat anything unclean. Nothing unclean had ever entered my lips, and he said, Peter, what God has cleaned, do not consider as unclean. Of course, this was... Um, an example of Gentiles and the Jews did not accept the Gentiles they were ready to accept any Arab just not the Gentiles any Arab just not the Gentiles the Gentiles or the Philistines who had lived among them were uncircumcised the Egyptians were circumcised the Egyptians the Syrians would be accepted but the Gentiles would not be accepted those that live among them and therefore God says, what I have cleansed do not consider unclean. Now it is clean. And this is important to understand and note. What gives us the opportunity? Therefore, the fear of the Lord in the equivalent of wisdom gives us the opportunity to know God the mind of Christ in a person the dignity of his renewed mind is clothed with the dignity of a disciple of Christ who receives the ability to give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to be instructed through the knowledge of God and his holiness take a look at what is written about Christ the prophet Isaiah Isaiah chapter 50 verses 4 through 5 the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary 
He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. So God opens the heart when a person's mind is renewed, then he becomes able. He becomes able to understand. Furthermore, the fear of the Lord in the heart of those that fear God is the source of eternal life that turns them away from the snares of death. Proverbs 14.27 The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. I should remind you that the program of the fear of the Lord on its own, without a programmable device which is the heart of a person that fears God, it cannot be the source of life, and therefore it cannot um, separate a person from the snares of death. And therefore, the fear of the Lord can be the source of life only in the heart of a person who fears God. And so, this is highlighted by another place of scripture, Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. In this programmable device, in the heart of a person who fears God. Thus, a man who fears God has the wisdom in his heart to remove himself from the snares of death. A net is a trap, web, snare, loop. In Greek, the word net means such actions as to fight, feud, argue. Death is the enemy defeated by the resurrection of Christ, and therefore we should not fight, be at uh, enmity, and argue with the defeated enemy. We should ignore him. Have you paid attention? He separates people from these snares. He does not lead them in enmity. He separates them. In the Garden of Eden, upon meeting Eve, the power of the cunning serpent, representing personified death in the form of a fallen cherub, did not extend to man. And if through their own fault he had already penetrated into Eden, which was the place of their communication, with God, the gate of which had to be kept from uninvited guests, then at least one should not argue with him or prove something him. Most likely he needed to be ordered to immediately get out. And therefore the words of any person, including a cunning snake that does not have legal power over you, trying to accuse you or impose a dispute on you, is a snare of death. And such words are necessary to either ignore avoid, reject, or command the snake to get out of your presence. Because as soon as you enter into an argument imposed on you by someone who does not have legal authority over you, you will be caught in the web of his words. Sometimes people come to me wounded. The words of these people act on them. I say, what is this person to you? Is he a pastor? No. Then why are you listening to him? Why have you allowed yourself to listen to this person? As soon as they begin to teach you, I say, let the Lord forbid you. You are not Lord God to me, and not an apostle, and not an, a pastor. Only they can teach me, not you. By the way, in the saying, the fear of the Lord is the source of life that removes from this nets of death, the verb removes means in Hebrew, depart, turn directions, leave, clean up, and cancel. 
And in order to confirm the principle of how one should relate to a defeated enemy or to someone who does not have power over us but tries to accuse us and argue with us, I will cite a few more scriptures, although there are many more. Proverbs 4, 14-15 Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it, do not travel on it, turn away from it and pass on. The wicked is the carrier of the overcome enemy. He will, uh, he will present ideas that will resist you. Don't pay attention to this. Don't begin to argue with him. The phrase, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the wicked, has a double meaning in Hebrew, which indicates a specific authority and dominion which should be not allowed in, not introduced, not brought in, and not led to power over yourself. When we begin to argue with them, we give them authority over us, which indicates the fact that when we violate the, the position in a relationship with any enemy trying to challenge or hope in our moral, challenge or hope in our moral dignity, which has no power over us, we fall into the net or the snare of death. Realizing this danger, which is hidden in our words, with which we can try to justify our hope when the enemy will pervert its essence and thus challenge our moral moral, moral worth, David prayed with these words. Psalms 141 verses 3 through 4. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. In practice, David prayed to God for wisdom, thanks to which he could know when to be silent, when to speak, and when to, what to say. For example, based on the definitions of Scripture, for people who do not have wisdom in their hearts and the dignity of the meme, that is the commanding teaching of Christ imprinted in their conscience as on a seal, it is impossible to evade the nets of evil. Take a look. It is impossible. Companion of fools will be destroyed. Proverbs 13.20 Scripture says that the heart of any Christian person where there is no teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, it's a foolish heart. And they will turn away from evil. Excuse me, they will turn away from the truth. It should be borne in mind that stupidity is ignorance and ignorance of the law of time and the charter, which can reside only in the heart of a wise person in which the cooperation of the Urim dwells and takes place. If a person tries to attract the favor of God by serving God, his heart will be closed for the cooperation of the meme and Urim, due to which such a person will not be able to discern the voice of God in his heart in the mouth of a person sent by God, because he tries to please God not by way of communication with God, but by way of service to God. He wants to turn upon himself the goodness of God by doing something for God. And of course, this wounds the heart of God when a woman tries to fulfill the role the, a woman will, will satisfy her husband when she fulfills the role of a wife. A servant does not have the right to lie in bed with the husband, but a wife does. A woman, a wife does. 
а он-то хочет, чтобы мы обращали внимание не служением, а любовью к нему. When we try to turn God's attention or to try to attract God's attention through some kind of ministry, He wants us to not attract Him through ministry, but through our love to Him. I will remind a place of scripture when a person tried to turn the attention of God upon himself through ministry and service. And because he did this, he didn't have this feeling or the ability to distinguish clean from unclean, to distinguish the voice of God in man. Here we're talking about uh, Josiah. He had done a Passover that was not done before in this manner. And this is what is said of him. Second Chronicles chapter 35, verses 18 through 24. There had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Josiah kept, with the priests and the Levites, all Judah and Israel, who were present, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the eighteenth year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Nico, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Karshemish by the Euphrates. And Josiah went out against him, but he sent messengers to him, saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house with which I have war, for God commanded me to make haste, refrain from meddling with God, who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself so that he might fight with him, and did not heed the words of Nico from the mouth of God. So he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo, and the archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am severely wounded. His servants therefore took him out of the chariot and put him in the second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem. So he died, and he was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers, and all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Pay attention here. Why? Because he did not depart. And he did not depart because from evil, he did not depart from evil. He says, I'm not going against you. He was going against the enemies. And God told me for me to make haste. And the Holy Spirit opened, revealed to me, and we've talked about this often before, about who Egypt is, the image of Egypt. Why was God so inclined to Egypt? Why did he send there Abraham? Why did he send there Why was Jesus there? He was hidden there in his time. Why did the people of God why were they hidden there and they were accepted there? Why the Egyptian? He could have been loved and not despised because he was a foreigner. And so, just so you know, the Egyptians were circumcised apart from those other ten tribes that lived on the territory of Israel that were called Gentiles. They were the gen uh, the tribes of Canaan. The land of Canaan is the land of these ten tribes that came there previously, pre before Abraham, and then after that it began to be called uh, the land of Israel. And so Egypt, Syria, and Israel, these three countries, demonstrate the image of one person, the spirit, the soul, and the body. Egypt is the body, Syria is the soul, and Israel is the spirit. So, for Nico, 
The body has an enemy. So here it says that how to be clothed into the new man. And Josiah began to go against his body being clothed into the new man. He said, I am going to go fight with my enemies, not against the spirit. I'm not against you, king. Why are you standing out against me? I'm not standing out against the spirit. I'm not standing out against the soul. I am standing out against the death that um, brings danger to my body. I'm not going against you. God had told me to go hastily. Sometimes we think that the king of Israel had contact with God, but we see that God gives vision to these kings as well. God gave um, uh, vision to Nebuchadnezzar, the Persian king, Therefore, we should understand that here specifically is shown that God wanted for the body of a person to be freed from death, from illness, from weakness. God wants to glorify all of man, demonstrate his glory. When glory is not demonstrated, when the body is not transformed, death be continues to work in this body. And as we said, it will actively work up until the moment that it will be time to clothe. At this time, death will be on its highest level of activity. Therefore, saints that will accept this idea by faith, this promise of the end of days, in order to clothe their bodies into the new man, and to stop this death in order for eternal life to begins to act in them and all the viruses and illnesses would be destroyed, then these people will endure all kinds of things. Do you remember when the priests had came to Jordan? They had to enter to Jordan and when the feet of the priests had entered, when they were at about knee length, God said, go, and they went. There was a large depth. Jordan was very deep. But God said to them, go. And as soon as they went in, at this time, Jordan had separated, divided. Therefore, we will need to proclaim the inexistent as existent, that which we have accepted. We need to take our wounded emotions. Doctors say the, diagnos the, diagno the diagnosis of the doctor is so-and-so, but we must say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I go forth to resurrection. I look at what God has done for me, Christ Jesus, and who I am for Him. I will come to this. We sing this. Let's just not just sing this, but let's trust in it. This is what we can violate if we don't understand and if we don't depart from evil because there will be evil, but that does not go against us. We must depart from it, because this evil is created specifically in order to destroy the enemies that bring danger to our body. And this person did not understand. He did not depart. He didn't realize what anointing is, what the voice of God is. Oh, as people usually say, what is, how do you know the voice of God in a person? Only the Holy Spirit gives this revelation to man and his spirit. 
We can't show people that this is me, this is my voice. It's the Holy Spirit that can show a man, a person this. An anointing is authority, but it's not the power of the anointing. Between anointing and power of anointing, there is a difference. Although when a person receives anointing, what does anointing do? It says, and he was anointed as priest. And this anointing, what did it do? It dedicated him to priesthood. Anointing dedicates to calling, to our calling. But there's also the power of the Holy Spirit. God anointed Jesus with power. God anointed Saul. But the power of the Holy Spirit had departed. Yet the anointing remained. The authority remained. What can a king do without an army, without the power? Power is army. We're talking about heavenly army. The heavenly army had left Saul. The Holy Spirit departed from him. But the power remained on him. Why? Because God anointed the cherubim. But uh, the cherubim had departed with the anointing. He anointed, the authority was left, but the power to fulfill this anointing did not remain because people begin to use anointing for their own personal goals. We can use anointing, although we have received it, we can use it having had authority as people, but we must be very careful and we must receive a revelation in what measure and how we can use the authority. Only according to direction from the Holy Spirit, David always said, Should I go? Should I not go? Will you go? Will you not go? But this did not worry Saul. He said, I figured that it would be good if these sheep would not be killed, but we bring them as an offering. He thought, his renewed mind had thought. Same way here. It's possible to serve God in this manner and at the same time have an unrenewed mind. Josiah was an unrenewed mind. He served for God. He made this kind of a Passover. But after this, Nico, the king of Egypt, came not to him, but to Kirkamish by the Euphrates. Here in these events are hidden beautiful promises of the end days. I think you've understood this, so let us continue forward. The fear of the Lord in the heart of those who fear God clothe them with hatred toward the carriers of evil, to bearers of pride, to carriers of ignorance, to the carriers of the evil path, and to the owners of a perverse mouth. Proverbs 8.13 The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and evil, and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. As you can see in this parable, the fear of the Lord as a program of God's legislation is presented in the programmable device of a certain person who is the bearer of this program, which can be concluded from the phrase, I hate pride and arrogance in the evil way and perverse mouth. The definition of the fear of the Lord is a definition of selective love, which determines the character and nature of God, which testifies to the fact that God is absolutely against tolerant attitude towards carriers of evil, pride, arrogance, and a perverse mouth. And therefore, a sermon about the tolerant love of God, allegedly loving everyone, by virtue of which we also must love everyone, it does not have the right to be called a sermon, since it does not contain the fear of the Lord, which could separate a person from the communion with the bearers of wickedness and lawlessness, pouring out of their perverse mouth. 
Thus, putting on a new man is putting on hatred towards the carriers of evil, pride, arrogance, and a perverse mouth, which means putting on the holiness of God. And of course, as we have already said more than once, both love and hate are a rational and volitional action that leads the emotional sphere of our soul by the bridle. Because to love means to have fellowship with God and with those who obey His commandments, and to hate means to avoid fellowship with those who do not obey His commandments. Both one action and the other is a discipline of the mind and will of a person who fears the Lord, leading him by the bridle, the area of his emotional sphere. This is what David said about this in Psalms 26, 2-7. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the lawlessness of evildoers, and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell all your wondrous works. In this saying, the verb examine in Hebrew means put me to the test to reveal a foreign impurity in me and cleanse me so that I am pure. To examine means to test, check, explore, cleanse, cognize. As a result, of verification, approve, and affirm. We know that one and the same word in our translations can be translated from completely different words, both in their meaning and in their application. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5 also is the word examined. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the temper had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. You see, there is God there that tests. But here, Apostle Paul wants Satan not to test him. Examine means try to seduce and catch into your will. There's a difference. There is the word examine and there. But the difference in Hebrew is completely different. It is translated from different words. There, examine, means test, try, cleanse me, to approve and affirm. But here, for Satan to not test you or examine you, tempt you, try to seduce and catch into your will. Therefore, the program of the fear of the Lord and the dignity of the holiness of the Lord will express itself in a person in order to avoid communication with those who, calling themselves brothers, do not obey the commandments of God. I have one more. All right, I'll risk it. The fear of the Lord contains in itself instruction on the way of the Lord, thanks to which we can walk in the truth and righteousness of God. Psalms 86, 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Psalms 86, 11. Here David calls God his fear. God's name is fear. Unite my heart to fear your name. Proceeding from these words, in order to be instructed in the Lord's way and to receive the ability to walk in his truth, which gives the ability to be established with our heart in the fear of the Lord's name, it is necessary to be the bearer of the Lord's fear. Considering, however, that to be instructed in the way of the Lord is to acknowledge over oneself the authority of the instructor sent by God. 
It follows from this that a person who does not have the fear of the Lord in his heart will always resist the instruction on the path of the Lord, the messenger of God, because he will always rely on the strength of his mind, considers his own mental abilities superior to any instruction. And therefore David in this prayer turned to the name of the Lord in the dignity of fear, since he perfectly understood that in order to be instructed in the way of the Lord, contained in the fear of the name of the Lord, he would need to receive instruction in the format of correction from the man whom God had sent had set over him. And in order to recognize the power of the person sent by God over himself, he needed to humble his heart and give up hope in the possibilities of his mind. Let the righteous strike me, it shall be kindness, so let him rebuke me, it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. Psalms 141, verse 5. At the same time, it should be noted that not every righteous person can correct David, but only the one whom God put over David. Therefore, every righteous person is well aware of the boundaries of his responsibility before God and will never correct those people who are outside the boundaries of his responsibility. And if we begin to correct people for whom we are not responsible before God, or if we dare to correct those who are responsible for us, then we are showing our pride, which is evidence that not only do we not have the fear of the Lord in our hearts, but on top of everything else, we also challenge the fear of the Lord, and it is evil in the sight of God. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plague in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. These are the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3-5. through 5. The pride of a religious person expressed in his arrogance from his knowledge and his religious experience can be so veiled that he can regard his hypocrisy as zeal for God, correcting those who are not under his responsibility. Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-3. through 3. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows any anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. As you know, love for God expresses itself in obedience to the commandments of the Lord, which contain the legislation of God, which stipulates the order of the kingdom of heaven. And one of the provisions of this order is that we cannot violate the boundaries of our neighbor. When we try to correct a person who is outside the limits of our responsibility, we violate the boundaries of our neighbor. Whenever we correct our neighbor who is within the limits of our responsibility, not from the position of a servant, but from the position of a boss, we violate the boundaries of our neighbor. Now there is also a dispute among them, the disciples, as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table, or he who serves? It is not he who sits at the table, yet I am among you as the one who serves. The ability to be a servant within the limits for which we are responsible for God will determine the nature of the fear of the Lord in our hearts. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer and let us pray and thank God for what we have been able to hear today. Who, what the fear of the Lord is in our hearts and how we must practice prayer in the fear of the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I again and again rejoice 
on this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name, along with your saints, to hear these words, the words, your revelations, and to be immersed and to tremble before your fear, which is your wisdom, your hope, which can free us from all kinds of fear, which can free us from all kinds of torment, all kinds of fear before you is firm hope. You are our stronghold. May your fear be blessed among your people. May they fulfill their prayers and proclamations in your fear. So, according to your will, when we ask according to your will, this means that our prayer is done in the fear of the Lord. When our prayer coincides with the nests of the breastplate of judgment, it is specifically then that our prayer illuminates the fear of the Lord and then God favors us and then our words become equal to the words of God according to their powers when he says and when his words produce action God wanted the words of his children to produce action that's what he called us to that's why he had redeemed the spirit soul and the body and because the redemption of the body has been forgotten for ages it was said that this is the body and that it is deadly and that it is going to die and that we just need to change our character and of course to change our character is, is important but it's unfortunate that you wanted to stop and overcome death not only in our spirit but also in our soul and our body and to make it here on earth but people had violated it and you wanted our eyes to see this to see your greatness and your glory before the tribes and nations to destroy uh, to destroy evil for death to to be quiet once and for all therefore we bow down before you and thank you for this great and precious promise that relates to the end days if you were to not have revealed it to us then this would mean that the end days have not come upon us but because you have revealed this promise now we can understand that we are living in the end days and that through faith we can gain it so that it can be kept in heaven before you it can be kept in the bodies of your saints and all generations that had this faith that had understood this meaning and that have died in faith not having received what was promised so that they could not receive perfection without us finally the heavens that serve your inheritance that is found in your, in your deadly body, you give, will give the opportunity for them to not serve the world, for them to be for them to be rid of slavery and to decay. The bodies of saints will be clothed in resurrection and immortality. 
The death will cease to demonstrate its actions. And man, may your mercy be blessed, your revelation for the for your children. May it be kept in the hearts of those who, who trust in you. May they be given the power of your Holy Spirit to take their emotions and bridle them and lead them in the direction of who you are for us and what you have done for us. We thank you and we bow down before you upon this holy place, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the hand of the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen and now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to god our savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever amen